0: What is up, Canuck Central on your Wednesday, Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd in for Dan Riccio. And as always, Sportsnet 650's Canuck Central is presented by your local Grip Auto and Tire location, friendly service, and expert advice. are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. No Dan Riccio, and as you may have heard last night (laughs) on the show, his voice was starting to give away, give away towards the end, and we kind of wondered... If today would be in jeopardy a little bit. Because you, when, you when the voice starts going, you're like, uh-oh. He's
1: still in recovery mode today. Yeah. Yeah. He's ta- taking it easy
0: today. T- taking it easy. And uh, just as you would expect, when Dan Riccio misses a show, something happens. Stuff, stuff happens. He missed a show. Uh, he had some stuff going on in, in Toronto. I think it was for uh, Friends Wedding stuff. And so he missed the day when Kuzmenko signed. So he was, he was very upset about that. And he said, I promise you the next time I, I take a day off or I can't make it in, something else will happen. And yeah, something big happened today.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the we were kind of waiting, right? I think there was a lot of people around the NHL wondering what's going on. Are we going to actually <laughs> see something? And yeah. finally, the offseason got started in earnest today with the Kevin Fiala deal.
0: And it started off with one of the biggest names on the trade market and, and Kevin Fiala getting traded. And there's been tons of reaction to this and still pouring in, even on our Dunbar Lumber text inbox right now, 650-650. And as everybody's been kind of talking about, the question really comes down to does this or how does it, if you feel like it does, impact your Vancouver Canucks, especially when it comes to a couple of key players who are unsigned? And interestingly enough, they have two players in Miller and Horvat who are in similar situations who are a year away from UFA, but they have a year on contract remaining. Brock Besser has a couple of years of control remaining, but he is unsigned as an RFA. So does this trade for Fiala on a return basis? And as far as a contract he signed, $7.9 million over seven years, and the return was the 19th overall pick in this year's draft from the LA Kings,
1: along with right-handed defenseman out of Minnesota, Brock Faber. So there's a lot of different ways you could look at this from a Canucks perspective. Yes. Obviously, as you mentioned, with guys like Horvat and Miller, Brock Besser being an RFA, and... You know, we'd always heard we'd got a lot of text, right? Could they do a Besser for Fiala swap? And that never really was going to make sense. But there's a reason those players are linked because of their situations. For me, the the most clear impact or the biggest takeaway from it is if they are serious about shopping JT Miller and they decide to do a JT Miller trade, I really like what the Wild were able to get in return for Kevin Fiala. And I know you guys, you and Reach, have talked a lot on uh, Canucks Central about if you do do the Miller trade, you have to make more than just the quantity of assets, Mm -hmm. you have to make sure you get those truly premium pieces. I think Brock Faber is that. 19th overall pick, hey, that's really nice on top of that. So if the Wild were able to get that for Fiala, that means to me that the Canucks, if they were to trade JT Miller, should absolutely expect to get similar assets, similar premium assets back in return, which... I I never really thought that was too much in doubt because ultimately teams would be interested in JT Miller. But this to me proves that, yeah, a a deal that makes it worth it for the Canucks to trade JT Miller, that's going to be on the table at some point.
0: Yes, I think it it, it most certainly will be. The question is, are you more likely to trade JT or sign JT? And and we'll see how that all unfolds. But I'm with you as far as this is the type of trade you should be looking to do. Get the best quality player you can can get back in return. And also a draft pick, but don't worry about volume necessarily, just get the best quality you can get. And Brock Faber, who who we will talk more to Cam Robinson about as well, and, and amongst, you know, other 2022 NHL draft prospects and what else, but Brock Faber kind of reminds me a little bit of Braden Schneider. They got some size, have some physicality, both skate really well, Faber especially. Faber can do a lot of different things, maybe even a bit more offensively inclined. But there are some similarities as far as type of player those two guys are on the right side. So I don't think it's too dissimilar from had the Rangers offered Schneider in a first, it would have piqued Vancouver's interest. Oh, yeah. Now, maybe you want a bit more because it's JT Miller. Maybe you want that third piece. But that's, to me, the type of trade you should be looking to do if you're moving at JT Miller. And this is the first trade and it shows that this is possible. The question though is does it really set the market? Is mm-hmm. is this going to set the market for that type of trade? So now Fiala goes for this that the next trade that happens if it's JT for instance, that you are getting that and more.
1: Well, I look at because I think JT Miller should have more value than Kevin Fiala. Just based yes, he's older, but, and, and yes there's the contract uncertainty yeah. beyond next year, but plays center, can play center at the very least, more productive in recent seasons. I know Fiala had a great year last year as well, but still, JT Miller's been significantly more productive in recent seasons. So he should have more value. And again, I look at this as kind of the absolute bottom line, baseline of any JT Miller deal, right? Like, there's no way you're getting less no. than what Kevin Fiala went for, right? So you're only building from this point. Yes. And I I would want those extra pieces, but I think you're right that the key in a JT Miller trade would, would be to at least equal the quality of those two parts. And, you know, just on the comparison between uh, Brock Faber and Schneider out of New York, The interesting thing is, obviously, Schneider's kind of already established himself as an NHL player, which makes it more difficult. Mm -hmm. Even if the upside is the same, it kind of makes it harder for New York to part with him. Whereas with Faber, you know, he's going back to Minnesota, it sounds like, for another year of college hockey. So he's still a year away from even breaking in. But looking at that from a Canucks perspective, I don't have as much of a problem with that, right? If you have to wait a year to get the guy over, but you believe he's the guy that makes the package work, I'd be okay with that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'd be all for it. I'd be all for you getting that type of player back in return, if that's the type of move you're making. Now, I think JT and Bo are in the same boat. Like, if you're looking to move the same type of value back in return, so if you want to compare this, even for Bo, you very well could. For Brock, that's where the comparisons kind of end. Yes. What I do think is you can't really compare the players, even though on a point-per-game basis over their careers, it's favorable to Brock. But if you look at recent trends, Fiala has far surpassed them. And because that's the case in the QO qualifying offer situation, it's just a different spot with Brock Besser. You're not getting this type of return for Brock Besser. You're certainly not getting more, but you're talking about a class that Besser's not going to be in, neither from a term uh, a, a, in terms of what he got back in return mm-hmm. for Fiala and also the contract you're looking at for Kevin Fiala.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and as you said, if you look at over their whole career on a per game basis, Besser compares favorably, but... What you did last season matters so much more than what you did five years ago or four years ago, right? And Kevin Fiala is coming off an 85 point campaign. You know, it's it's it was a contract year in a sense for him because he needed the new deal. That's always going to loom large in the minds of other teams. And you know, we know, and yeah, probably a lot of it was because of circumstances off the ice for Besser, but he didn't have his strongest campaign this year, so that's going to affect how teams see him and his yeah. value around the league. And that's why it's kind of hard to draw draw that comparison. The other thing I'll say as well is what's Fiala's greatest asset as a player? It's his speed, right? Yeah. And that dynamic skating ability, we see the way the league is trending. So not only did he just have that great campaign scoring 85 points, but he also fits where probably a lot of players or a lot of teams, excuse me, think that the league is going.
0: Well, and – that's part of where Kevin Fiala is at. One other thing for Brock that does play in his favor is you have two years of control for RFA status. Whereas with Fiala, he's one year away. So I think that also, you know, complicates negotiations for as bad as a qualifying offer is for Brock short term wise, there is a way for you to figure it out. And it's not too bad. The question is, you know, what's the return going to be for him? And I don't see you getting definitely more than what a Fiala got. Does a team offer you a first-round pick and a prospect less than favor? Potentially. I think that's on the table. But if you're trading Brock, I think what you're looking at is don't look at volume. Get the best single asset you can get. Is that a prospect? Is it a highest pick? But I don't see this trade helping Brock Besser's trade value.
1: No, I don't think so either. And I, Man, I think if a first-round pick was on the table... I don't know. From my perspective, that probably makes you think pretty hard, just given the, the complications with the Brock Besser situation. Yeah, and to me, it depends
0: on what you're doing with JT. Because I, I don't like trading Brock for lesser value if you're not fi- if if that money's not going towards something else. Sure, you know what I mean. Like you have a because I think the best value. I've said this for a long time for Brock is signing him to a three year deal potentially and getting value on it, and then maybe reassessing in a year. Because I think Brock's going to bounce back next season. And I think, actually, Brock, if I'm looking around the league right now, look at this trade that was made for Fiala and players that are available. Besser's a smart bet, a smart team can make, because they're not going to pay as much, and the contract's going to be decent, not crazy, and there's a good chance he outperforms it. That, to me, is enticing for
1: Besser. So why give that to somebody else? If you don't have to. Any team that did that would be buying low. But that means the Canucks would be selling low, yes. right? So why do you want to be the one selling low on the player? So, so I think if you're
0: selling low on Besser to some degree, I think it is because you know you're keeping Horvat and Miller long term, or at least it's it signed assigned towards that maybe being a bit more likely. Now, as far as a contract Fiala signed, it doesn't, I look at the numbers, Horvat's never come close to, even though he scored 31 goals, he hasn't come close to 80, 85 points. So I'm not sure that affects Horvat in a sense. But one thing to keep in mind here is Fiala, even though he's 25, turning 26, is only one year of RFA in the 70-year deal. So six years of this contract are straight UFA years. So it is pretty close to being a UFA deal. It's not a great analogy. It's not analogous completely to Miller because I think their situations are a bit different. But I don't think this contract in and of itself actually hurts Vancouver when it comes to JT Miller. Because I don't look at this contract and say, wow, because he's getting 7.9 over 7. JT's definitely getting more. Because he's 25. He's yeah. going to sign through his prime year. He's going to be a free agent at 32.
1: It's really hard to to account for the difference in age, right? Because yeah. if they were the same age, you look at it and say, JT Miller's more productive, plays a premium position. He plays center. Uh, can can fill in on the penalty kill, right? So all of that would lead you to believe, not just fill in, he can play well on the penalty yeah. kill, all of that would lead you to believe that he would get more than Kevin Fiala on his next contract, right? As, which, is, as you said, it's not technically a UFA deal, but it's close enough because it's only buying out the one year of RFA, the rest of it is UFA. The age is really hard to square, how much the age impacts yeah. things. I would still be surprised if JT Miller got significantly less. I think the total money comes out to... Uh, about $55 million yeah. for Kevin Fiala. It does strike me as maybe a bit of a floor for JT Miller, or if not a hard floor, something really close to that. Because again, yeah, he's older. Yeah, yeah. the contract's not going to kick in. But he's also a center. And he's also been more productive. And those those things tend to get you paid when you're in that situation. They do. The one thing I would say about about Miller, does everybody
0: view Miller as a long-term center? Just that's a, that's center. a very
1: fair question. You know, that's a very sh- fair question. And I'm not
0: sure everybody does, just because he played center f- for a part of this year. That, yeah, maybe they think he can. But I don't know if they view him like he's a center for the next six or seven yeah. years. I actually think the Fiala contract is probably near the ceiling of what Miller is going to get. In total money, which is about $55 million. I don't know if Vancouver is willing to do that. Again, I've kind of floated the idea of does Vancouver get in the range of $50 million? Is that 47 to 50 in that range? Do they make that type of an offer that makes JT think? Because I, I, I think JT knows for sure he's getting $45 million no matter what. Is he getting north of fifty five million? Is he getting sixty million? Because he is going to be thirty years old when he hits free agency next season. And typically when guys are thirty and hit UFA, they don't get seven, eight year contract.
1: Yeah, the number, and I know they were talking about it on the people show today as well. Maybe the closest comparison you can find recently in terms of when they signed their deal and, and getting a big term contract like that was Logan Couture with yeah. the with the San Jose Sharks. And Now, you can kind of point to reasons why Couture got that kind of money, right? And, you know, he's homegrown with the Sharks. Uh, He'd had a a fantastic playoff performance. He's a great playoff performer generally, but specifically the year they went to the finals, he was incredible for them. That's all fair. But if I was in JT Miller's camp, you look at the stats and the counting numbers. I mean, Miller blows what Couture was doing out of the water in the regular season. It's not close. So if I was in JT Miller's camp, like I, I, I would have a tough time. Being convinced that Miller should get less than Logan Couture did, that would be a really tough sell for me. I understand, but San Jose doesn't have the money to sign anybody, and
0: they may be the only team that does those contracts. Look at the Timo Meyer contract they gave out,
1: mm-hmm. and, and the and Tomas Schertl as well. Tomá- Sorry, Timo so, uh, to- to- hi- uh, Meyer the- hasn't been signed. Yeah, Tomas Schertl. Schertl
0: is the one I meant. Uh, you're right. Uh, but even the Zabanajad one, Zabanajad's contract kicks in next year before he's thirty. It doesn't kick in when he's thirty. Mm-hmm. And that's a small little thing, but that's the difference of one year at a term of eight million plus, which is over eight million. That's gonna be an eight to nine million dollar number. You take off the contract. Because he's not getting eight years.
1: Yeah. I but so I think if you look at the Zabanajad deal, right, and you say, as you said, because it kicked in a year, it will kick, kick in a in next year next season, earlier. Yeah. Miller's will kick in a year later. So if you're JG Miller, you say, okay, that's fair. So You give us seven years and then maybe you bump the AAV up a little bit, right? Or you go just seven and 8.5, which is what Zabana Jet got. And that right there, that's almost 60 million seven and 8.5. Okay. I I was debating this with with you, Jamie, and also
0: with Josh Elliott Wolf, our producer. Um, And also, by the way, uh, I, I should mention. That we have a lot coming up on the show. Cam Robinson, we mentioned, is coming up at five. Uh, Alex Burroughs coming up next segment. We'll get into this with him. Ryan Kessler is coming up at five thirty. We're in a chat with Irfan Gaffar when he had something on Brock Besser today, which we'll talk about. And the latest when it comes to Canucks trade speculation or rumors, we'll get into that with ERF and overrated underrated so if you have any submissions, get those into our text inbox. Six fifty six fifty. But we were chatting about this before the show began. Josh Elliott Wolf, myself, and Jamie Dodd. What is the range that JT Miller is going to get paid? And I'm not just talking Vancouver in general, like let's say a year from now. I'd say the range that JT gets paid is going to be closer to the 45 to 55
1: million range in total money than it will be a higher range. So I would put, if we did a 10 million range, I think I would go... 54 to 64. Okay. So there's very little overlap between our two ranges. That's that's very interesting. It's a 5 million switch. Yeah.
2: I would probably go 50 to 60. 50 to 60. Right in the middle. Split in the middle. (laughs) Split in the middle.
0: (laughs) So Josh has 50 to 60. He thinks JT's getting paid. Uh, Jamie has 54 to, 54 to
1: 64. 64. 54 to 64.
0: And I have 45 to 55. I mean, well, let's get Ben turned into this too. Intern Ben. Do you have a range? I was or
1: about would... to say 50 to 60 as well. 50 to 60. That's right. what I was thinking. All right. Well, you've been working that. with Josh. a little well, too saying. closely. Good the control works. room's playing it safe <laughs> in there. told what to say. <laughs> yes. Very good.
0: <laughs> Training the intern well. So that's kind of... And, and maybe I'm a bit more skeptical about this. And you're right about, you know, the people show what they talked about. And Bick kind of went over these numbers as well when looking at some contracts. And the precedent is is not there. You know what I mean? It's, and it's a relatively rare situation. So, it is. So I can see JT getting $9 million, but I think it's six years. Not in Vancouver, six years. What is what is nine times six?
1: 54. 54. Like, I, that's kind
0: where I see it going.
1: It's funny how much just one year a, a, yeah. a one-year difference makes, because I could totally see him getting seven by nine, which puts him up to 63. Yeah, but that right? one year
0: makes such a big difference. It makes difference. a huge
1: difference in the total money. My... My just, even, even if you, you don't look at JT Miller's stats, right? Don't look at uh, other comps, specific comps, and get into the nitty gritty of, oh, yeah, he'd play more playoff games or whatever. Just as a baseline assumption, I always assume that some team will overpay a, a player. Yeah. Like some team will talk themselves into it. They'll see the 99 points next to JT yeah. Miller, and like, oh, man, and he, and he plays center and he, he's a leader and he can penalty kill. And they're like, ah, I know he shouldn't, but we're going to do it. But we're going to do it. Right. Like that's just my. That's my starting point. And hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the year where uh, NHL GMs hold the line and they don't do that. But typically they do that. A lot of the time they do that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, so when you start going through that entire process and looking at it and look at the contracts that were given out even last year, Dougie Hamilton got almost got 9 million, but a seven year deal, you know, and mm-hmm. Petrangelo the year before eight and a half million, half million, 8.8 million over seven years. And those guys were still not 30 years old when they signed those contracts. And those were like considered the absolute premier right-hand defenseman that you can find.
1: Now, a good text comes in here, unsigned, that says, One difference is when Logan Couture signed his contract, GMs at, a, at the time were expecting the salary yep. cap to increase year after year. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. And I think that does speak to what you're talking about with Petrangelo and, uh, and Dougie Hamilton, certainly Dougie Hamilton last year. Now, with Miller, it's interesting because the deal's not kicking in next year. And we're starting to get to the point where the flat cap—you can kind of see the end of it coming, right? Yeah. So again, if we're talking, I—I I can easily envision a general manager saying, "You know what? We're only a couple years away before the salary cap starts rising, and all of a sudden, if we have you know JT Miller at eight point five, that's going to look really good. That's going to look good when the salary cap starts going up. Like the flat cap is not going to be here forever.
0: Yeah. You know what? I think that's something that has to happen for JT to get traded." I think for JT to get traded, two things have to happen. The number one most obvious thing is you have to get the return. You have to get the package that's Mm -hmm. going to make Vancouver make the trade. The second one, the price range has to be outside of what Vancouver is willing to do. And right now, I'm not sure that market's been set enough for Vancouver to feel like they're out of JT Miller's price range.
2: But would it be if Forsberg signs an 8 by 8
0: Potentially. I mean, if Forsberg goes, if Forsberg does like 8.5 times 8, that may change things a little bit. Couple years difference between those guys,
1: mm-hmm. but that could change things a little bit. Yeah. The point you made about is do how many teams view Miller as a center is a really good one as well. Right? Because if there's like five interested teams that view him as a center, he's going to get paid as a yeah. center. You know what I mean? But if if just around the league in general, people just see him as a winger, that changes things a lot. But if he has that center card to play to teams in negotiations, that's huge for him.
0: No, he does. And and that kind of is what it comes down to. And we've heard a lot of rumors around JT Miller. I mean, uh, I'd say, again, around JT, there isn't a ton happening yet. No, I don't think anybody's really forced to issue yet. Do teams start doing that? Now that the Fiala trades happen, do we start seeing over the next few mm-hmm. weeks here that people start making these types of...
1: And that that coaches. kind of thing can change
0: really quickly, too. Yeah. Right? I
1: mean, it wasn't that long ago that we were here. You know, at the start of the week, it was, wow, things are really quiet now we're here on Wednesday and you know, already we, it's not as if we had heard Fiala to LA rumored and oh they're working on it for weeks right it we basically Friedman mentioned watch Fiala this morning yep. and then by the afternoon it's done it, it can change really quickly if once teams get into that true offseason mode
2: yeah and I think if one one or two more players go and the Canucks still have Miller maybe that package that they've been waiting for starts to become more realistic or if they wait does that package disappear? You know, my,
0: so my rough take
2: right now, I'm
0: workshopping this take, but I'll, I'll debut it right now. If Miller is not traded by the draft, it's more likely he signs than gets traded. I agree with that. I, I, I think... It doesn't he, mean he's going to stay for sure. I just say the likelihood, I think that
1: pendulum swings to that. It points in that direction. Yeah. That they think there's a number... Or numbers they can work with that they're comfortable with, right? And they don't yeah. feel pressure to get it done by the deadline. Because as much as you want to by w- the draft.
0: As much as you want to wait, and I'm not sure the Kings were ever a team that was gonna be in on JT, but I think the longer you wait and the more spots get taken up, the less suitors there are too. Like right, I don't think the Kings were gonna be a player, and I don't think this affects the suitors. But if you wait too long as well, at some
2: point, the destinations are going to be few and far between. I do think there are more suitors, though, than players available, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Because, yep. uh, like, if the Rangers, they're rumored to be interested in Dubois, they get Dubois. That takes one off the board. But then there's still the Hurricanes. There's the Penguins. There's yeah. potentially the Capitals. Like, there's a bunch of teams out there that are interested in Miller. It's just a matter of re- meeting the price. Mm-hmm. I still think there's more teams available than there are players like Miller on the market. It's
1: interesting, too, with Miller because I can you can kind of make a case for a lot of different teams being interested. There's some teams that would be interested explicitly, hey, we're going to trade for him, and as soon as we can, we're going to sign an extension because we love him and we want to stick around. But I think there's other teams that might just be willing to pay the price as kind of a one-year rental for JT Miller as well if they're yeah. in that part of the window. I know Carolina's come up, right? Could they be a team? That would be interested in that Washington with the Nick Backstrom injury. So there's a. I agree with Josh that the the list of teams that could plausibly be interested in J T Miller for whatever different reason is pretty long.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, uh, the the question just comes down to that. I think this also impacts Vancouver's willingness to make a trade. Is what's the number going to look like for a contract? Even though there may be a lot of interest, but it seems like the numbers are pretty uniform with what's being offered totally in the money then even if there is interest and you're not super in love with the trades, you may just want to make that trade anyways. So I think the interest definitely has to be there. But I think what could dictate Vancouver's decision-making is where the number can land for them more than anything else.
1: That makes sense. I, I, if they if they're really feel really good about a number and JT Miller's camp feels good about that number, I believe what they've said all along, which is that they'd be interested in keeping him. Yeah. It, it's just... I mean, Jim Rutherford, he ha- he hasn't lied. He hasn't come on the station and no. lied to us, I don't think, right? He, he said if the numbers get out of whack, then we might have to think about something right. else. Exactly, and we'll
0: see if that happens yet. Uh, and the Fiala trade was Brock Favor, right-hand defenseman, and the 19th overall... Uh, pick that's coming in all right uh, we'll get into more of this discussion we'll take some more of your text messages people are texting in uh, like this one and don and sam and arm asking about carolina would they interest you as a trade partner we'll discuss all those things as the show goes on it is canuck central Satya shaw with jamie dodd alex Burroughs is next right here on sportsnet 650 Hour 2 of Canuck Central, Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. And this hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed the first hour of the show, make sure to check it out on the podcast. We got into the big trade that happened today. Kevin Fiala being sent from the Minnesota Wild to the LA Kings for right-hand defenseman prospect Brock Faber and the 19th overall pick. And then with with the Kings, he signed a seven-year contract, Fiala, worth $7.9 bucks. We got into that and what that means for the Vancouver Canucks and the number of free agents-to-be and players in the contract. What that means, we got into that. And also, Alex Burrows joined the show. We are going to be joined by Cam Robinson, who is on the line. Let's bring him in right now. Elite prospects and one of our favorites. And Cam, uh, how, how much are you itching for the draft now that it's this close?
3: Boys, yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited. I actually, just uh, had the flights booked this morning, so everything's all dialed up for my arrival in Montreal. And uh, yeah, very very excited for uh, for all the hoopla and the build up, and then the actual event. Is, is it a better city to go
0: to for the draft as opposed like outside of Vancouver? We had Vancouver a couple of years ago. We had fun with that, Cam.
3: But is this the best place to go? You think? You know, this will be my first time in Montreal. Oh, so wow. I'll, uh, I'll let you know in uh, in a week and a half or so, and uh, and and I can tell you, but. We definitely had some fun in Vancouver. Um, Dallas was a hoot as well. Uh, so we'll uh, we'll see if Montreal can uh, can hang with those ones.
1: I spent a few years in Montreal, Cam. You're not going to be disappointed. I can I can guarantee you that. If even if it wasn't for the draft, it's it's not hard to get excited um, for a trip to Montreal. I, I, before we get to the draft specifically, obviously the big deal today goes down with Kevin Fiala going to be L.A. Kings. Brock Faber is the prospect going the other way to Minnesota. What uh, what is Minnesota getting in Brock Faber?
3: They're getting a hell of a player, to be honest with you. I, I saw some of the uh, the initial reaction on on Twitter. There, um, a lot of people who don't watch Brock Faber uh, looking at his stat sheet and thinking that he's going to be a depth defenseman or something like that. This kid is an Excellent, excellent prospect. Um, So, you know, he was skating 25 minutes a night. He was the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten this year. He's 19 years old. He was playing at the Olympics, skating 25, 26 minutes a night again for the Americans. Um, Just an exquisite mover out there, like excellent four-way mobility, thwarts chances against, um, historically hasn't really used his powers for offense um but it started to come out a little bit towards the end of the year where you know he, if he wanted to he could be you know rushing the puck every play with that skating ability so um i think you know it's he's going to be more of a traditional kind of defensive defenseman i think um mm-hmm. but in a in a more modern way because he can skate so well um but no i know that minnesota's excited to have him he's a local kid there uh, the Kings, it made a ton of sense for them too. Obviously, right? They get themselves a, a first liner, um, and they can move out of a position of you know immense strength where they had uh, they have Clark, they had Helge Grands, they had Favor. They've got a ton of guys on the right side, so they could afford to move them out. They could afford to move out a pick, you know, later in the first round as well. So I think it's a win-win for both mm-hmm. sides. Minnesota was up against the cap, so they had to make a, a move, and I think that they pulled uh, they pulled a terrific player. That's got you know, for my money top four written all over him. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's even top pairing upside there. He's, you know, people are asking me, you know, is he Chris Tanev like, and you know, a better skating version of him. Like obviously Tanev is the, the grizzled version now. um, But just one of these players that's going to do everything right. And just, stop plays, block shots, move the puck up and out quickly. I'm kind of unheralded because you won't have the counting stats, but yeah, big, big fan of Brock Faber. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of, a bit different, but there are some similarities between Braden
0: Schneider and and Brock Faber as far as like how they can fit onto a team. Because I look at him and you're right, like he really he really has a profile of new age defensive defenseman. Because I look at, you mentioned Helge Grands. I really like Helge Grands, but would, would you say it's fair, based on the trade, that, people around the league may prefer a guy like Brock Faber?
3: I have a feeling Minnesota did for sure. Um, Is that Gronz has got kind of that big upside as a, as a point producer, um, but there are still warts defensively and he took some big strides this year too. Um, So, but for, for my money is that, yeah, I I think that Faber is going to go back to school for one more year. And you know, maybe, maybe they were LA was concerned about signing him too with Mm -hmm. him. He, you know, he can look at the piece of paper and see all these guys uh, on the right side and where's his minutes going to come from. Um, So maybe that could play into it too. But, um, yeah, they had they had those three guys all all on the right side that were looking juicy, and and I'm sure that Minnesota kind of targeted him as one of the guys that's uh, going to be a really good player for him for a lot of years, especially the hometown helps as well.
1: And, and you mentioned that, uh, that glut of prospects. I mean, they have a deep prospect system in general in L.A., but specifically on the right side of the blue line, even with now moving Faber and picking up Fiala, is that still kind of a surplus position where if they were motivated to be extra aggressive this year they could use one of those pieces as as the foundation for another kind of high profile move if they so choose
3: I'm sure they could. And, you know, they've also got a kid like Alex Turcott, who they drafted really, really early and who hasn't, you know, exactly lived up to expectations yet. They've got a sniper like Arthur Kaliev, um, you know, because, yeah, they, you know, they got a kid, Sean Dersey, who I didn't even mention, who he put up over a point a game yeah. in the AHL this year, again, on the right side, put up nearly 30 points for the Kings, too. So, you know, and he's 22, 23. Um, they got a lot of assets on that right side and on the blue line. So, you know, I could see it. I could also see them being like, well, let's just let Gronz and, and, and Clark battle it out to see who's going to be kind of the, the replacement for Drew Doughty long-term, and the next guy can be kind of our second pair type. So uh, it's a nice position to be in. I think that they're a couple of tweaks away from being, you know, just a monster in the West, and they're kind of a sleeping giant already. Um, but if I'm looking at it, I, you know, I think that they're probably going to go out and, and if it's me, I'm going to go out and, and swing big on a kid like mm-hmm. and and try to move out a a guy like Turcotte, maybe uh, a Kupari, um, you know, maybe you package, maybe you throw one of those right shot D-men in there, another pick in 23, something like that. And then all of a sudden you you know, look out too because they've got Quentin Byfield coming up who's going to get to play with some of these wingers too. Um, it's it's just a smorgasbord of talent in LA and uh, fans should definitely be jealous of it.
0: Yeah, no, no doubt. And as far as Vancouver's concerned, when you see that deal go down, what do you see as far as what Vancouver can get? Is that a fair type of value, that type of prospect, that type of pick? For any of the top guys, I mean, I don't think Besser fits into that, but, you know, namely a guy like Miller, like, would that be something you're looking to get that type of a package or significantly more?
3: Um, I I think that if that was the trade for JT Miller, that it would have been acceptable. Um, It's a different circumstance, too, right? Because Mm -hmm. everybody and their dog knew that Minnesota couldn't afford to keep Fiala. So they were... You know, you know the old saying that, that when you're when you're in trouble, the other GMs are throwing they're throwing anvils, they're not throwing life rafts for you. Um, so then for them to pull out a, a prospect as, as good as Brock Faber is and a firster, I think that that's that's pretty good value. Um, whereas Miller, Vancouver doesn't have to trade him this year, right? He's on the hook for a good cap hit. Um, he's a veteran guy. But the other teams do know that, you know, we're going to get them at five and a quarter right now, but then we're going to have to hand them the bag afterwards. So is that a pure rental? And in which case, you know, the value comes down. Um, are we going to extend them long term? Because then we got to factor in the cap compliance and all that, too. So I think the Vancouver probably can get more for JT Miller. Personally, I think he's going to be able to impact a team more than Kevin Fiala in the short term. Um, and, and the, the number on the, on the sheet too, is, is going to be cheaper too for this year. So, um, I, I think that if they could pull a, a player of Faber's quality and a first rounder, I think you're also looking at probably getting an NHL roster player right away and maybe a second round pick too. I, that's just kind of where I've been looking at, but we'll see what the market kind of, kind of turns into here as we, as we move along. I don't think we're going to have to wait too long to find out my, uh, my spidey senses are, are thinking that day one of the draft can going to have some fireworks. Yeah. As long as they give us the long weekend, Cam, I'm all right. <laughs> if, we, if we can
1: just get through the long <laughs> weekend before the fireworks start, I'll be just fine with that. But as you mentioned, the draft, just over a week away now. And Sat and I, just uh, before we started talking to you uh, we were we were chatting about uh, the Bob father, Bob McKenzie's draft rankings and the fact that he ended up putting Slavkovsky at number one over Shane Wright, who he had at number two. And that debate all of a sudden has become really, really interesting. Where do you stand on the debate between those two players at the top of this year's draft?
3: Yeah, I, uh, I've actually got my personal rankings coming out first thing tomorrow morning, too, so people can look out for that. So I'll, I'll give you guys just a little snippet is that, you know, Slavkovsky isn't one on my board um he's not even number 2 on my board so um i've got him down there at number 3 and that and that's baking in his kind of unicorn like potential um, mm-hmm. where he could be so unique with his size skill combination um, you know he improved his skating stride throughout the year which I thought was excellent I broke down his game in depth for a film room at EP ringside there um, I think it was maybe February or March and I was very concerned with the skating and then you watched him at the end of the year and he'd already taken strides just in a few months and I was like that's that's pretty impressive that in in season you're going to make adjustments like that too it's such a integral part of your game so that did impress me obviously the international resume was very impressive league of play not so much even down the stretch in the playoffs again didn't really wow me Um I have Shane Wright tip to tail he was my number one prospect Um he didn't he didn't move out of that spot I still think that that's who Montreal should take Um McKenzie's scout poll there has been I think spot on for the first overall pick for as long as I can remember or go back thinking about um, I think this is the year they might get it wrong and I think you know he he made it pretty clear talking about it. I think it was Four guys had Slavkowski mm. or had right at one and five had had Slavkowski or whatever it was, six and four. Um, so it's, it's razor thin. And, you know, I was talking to a, a team side guy about it too. And he just said, you know, it's really easy when you're not, you're not picking one to say, yeah, yeah I'd take Slavkowski. <laughs> I'd take him at one <laughs> yeah. until you're until your job's on the line, yeah. right? Um, so I think the teams uh, you know, the team at the top there, you know, I don't think jobs are on the line, but uh, you look back in three or four years, and that job might be on the line with that pick. So for me, Shane Wright, he's just so intelligent out there. He kind of lacks that elite separation speed that you want to see from like a true top-end franchise center. But you know, the nuance, connecting plays, driving action, he can dish it. He has a great release. He has a funky release that he can get off really, really quickly too. Um, he can thwart plays against he's going to be good. And, and the potential to, to have him and Nick Suzuki down the middle for the next decade plus, like a few teams are going to be able to match up against that. So I, I think that positionally, I think with the, the floor ceiling combination there too, that it, it's Shane Wright for me and it, and it has been from day one.
0: Let's say that you wanted to play Maverick with the first overall pick and you're, and you were just convinced that as good as Shane Wright is and Slavkovsky and those guys are that there is somebody else that you truly believe has a chance to be the best player in that draft. Who would
3: that be? If I'm getting really crazy and my job's definitely not online, yeah. I'm going. I'm going to go. I'm going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to say Dent Matejchok. Mm, um, wow, and that's and that's and that's going to get people raising eyebrows. <laughs> and you know, not to say he's the number two guy on my board right now. Um, that would be uh, that would be Simon Nemec, who who I could also get Maverick with at the top. Uh, but for me, Matejchak, I love this kid. Like I think he is amazing. He activates into nearly every single play, which isn't necessarily NHL translatable. But you can rein in kind of that unbridled enthusiasm. I'd rather I'd rather do that than try to light a spark under somebody. But you know, he he opens up lanes. He's very very intelligent when he does it. He draws that coverage. Um, His rush defense blossomed very, very well this season. Um, You know, again, talking to some team side guys is that, you know, some people think that he's kind of a liability defensively and he isn't this terrific skater. I disagree like completely and I know some other teams do too, is that you know his game is where the position is going. Like he could he could help change the makeup in what we're seeing with, you know, guys like Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox and Kyle McCarr. They're literally changing the paradigm around what the position does. And I feel like Denton Machechuk has that kind of level to his game. Um, you know, he's only five ten and a half right now, 195 pounds. But he's got an older brother who's six foot three, and I got some inside information that uh, he was six foot when uh, when he was 17, and he, uh-huh. he shot up a few more inches between 17 and 19. His dad's got height; there might be a little more growth there too. But uh, yeah, for me, Dent Matejchuk, one of my favorites in the class, and I I do think that there's a world where he ends up being the most impactful defender, and then in this class, you know, that could end up being the most impactful player, too, at the end of the day.
0: Well, you're not wrong about that as far as impactful defenders. We saw it in the cup final. I mean, nobody's KL McCarr, but you see what the impact he had on both sides of the ice. But, you know, as far as Matejchuk goes, we've talked about him for months now, and I know we texted about him. I'm with you. Like, I'm really intrigued by this guy, and and I wonder if Vancouver is, too. They're at number 15, but... There seems to be a sense that, like you mentioned, because there there are enough doubters when it comes to his defensive game and his skating, that he's got that could even be there in the twenties. Like, do you think that could actually happen?
3: I do. I, I fully expect that. And so, like, I again, I try to keep my finger on the pulse. I talk to scouts. I talk to execs. I just try to see what's going on. No one's given me their draft list, obviously. But um, you know, it kind of to a man, it's they like him, but they like him more in the teens or the early twenties. Is that they think that the risk. Is is kind of a little too much to be biting on him as early as I'm gonna have him up on my board, and that's fine. I'm again, I'm I'm not, you know, my head's not on the chopping block, so it's a little easier for me. But if I was in the room and I was pounding the table, I'd be pounding it for this kid because like I think that he's he has all the skills that can translate up and to become that dominant player. Um, the safety net isn't there like it is for a, a kid like Leon Bixel, who you know he's six foot five and he's just gonna take people's heads off and play defensively for you, and you're gonna get yourself a bottom pair guy at least if Matejchuk doesn't break right. You know, he might be playing in Europe for his career, Um, but if he does break right, you know, and you're picking in that, especially if you're picking in kind of the mid-teens, if you're looking at it, could we end up getting ourselves like a legitimate top offensive defenseman here at this spot? Like, why not? Um, That said, I I have a feeling that Vancouver maybe wouldn't take him even if he was there that, that they would they would look at maybe a safer pick or a, even a forward at that spot too if a, if a guy like Pavel Mityukov wasn't available who could be in in that zone for them too who's a little more a little more projectable a little safer bigger um, kind of has a less a more structure to his game. Um, but, yeah, for me, I, I love matechuk's upside, and, and I'm a big fan of intelligence and, and the way he creates it. He's very, very smart out there.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you just kind of work through how teams are judging the risk and the reward with Matejchuk. And, you know, you mentioned how players like Quinn Hughes and Adam Fox and Kale McCarr – are changing the paradigm of what we think of as a, a top of the lineup defenseman in the NHL. And, you know, I wanted to ask you, with, with the Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup on Sunday, and, you know, the, we've talked so much about how the league is trending towards more speed anyways, and now I think with the Avalanche winning the Cup, we're just going to see that uh, accelerate. Is there a prospect in the first round that you look at who could really benefit just and see their stock bump up a little bit from the Avs winning the Cup and other teams
3: saying, oh, man, is that the direction we have to start going now? I mean the first name that comes to mind is Frankie Nazar um, so a center for the program who has just terrific feet like he's he's got the best speed skill combination in the class for my money I know some people like Brad Lambert there at that level too and you know just looking at those two tools he's right there but um, yeah a kid like Nazar who I know again teams are very kind of split on he's a divisive guy that some, some guys don't even like him until the third round others think that teams are going to be you know sweating it and, and regretting passing on him in the top 10 um, so if I love it when a, a team like Colorado wins uh, because because it is a copycat league and so now everyone's like okay we got to be full of speed and skill to win the cup it's like yeah geez what a what a unique idea <laughs> um but a player like nazar has that incredible speed he has excellent skill um and you know to add to add to it he lives on the inside like he 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 loves to get into the middle of the ice which you don't often see from some uh, you know a speedy skill center who's five foot ten um you know he 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 needs to add probably a little more technical aspects to his passing game. And, you know, he's added a little more two-way acumen. But um, I think the question mark is whether or not his his way of going about things is that I'm going to deke the first guy and then cut to the middle. That It's a whole lot harder to do that at the NHL level. So if, we'll see if when he goes to Michigan next year, if he's able to do that right away as a, as a freshman, um, a little bit down the lineup, and then kind of take those steps. But he's going to a great program. I assume he's going to go to a probably a pretty smart smart organization who snaps him up in the first round too and, and recognizes that upside and then and then we'll see. But I think that he's a player that could benefit from the ABS winning and, and teams looking more at speed and skill versus kind of brawn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no no doubt about it. And you were mentioning that you could see Vancouver at
0: 15. I mean, if Minty Kukov isn't there, that potentially they're looking at one of the forwards. And I'm going to name three players. Would it surprise you if Vancouver takes one of them? And maybe Marco Casper is going to go too high anyways with, with the buzz around him and how he's skyrocketed up. But uh, Liam Ogren, who's more of a winger, but also Noah Ostlund. Those three players, would you be shocked if if they're on the board that Vancouver takes one?
3: No, I, I, I would not at all. I think that it, they would be very happy to take Marco Casper um, at that spot like you said it's it's probably unlikely that he's there just because he's this big powerful center who has good wheels and is just like ferocious on the ice so tenacious so pro ready already you know he played his full draft eligible season in the shl he played a handful of games as a as a u17 there the, the year before um the kid is very very close to being nhl ready um he lifts sticks like you know you and i eat chips on the weekend he, he's he's just out there doing things and causing havoc um liam ogren who again another one of my very favorite players in this crop i've got him in the top 10 i've got him in the top eight i don't know if any other list has him that high i think the canucks would love this kid too he is very reminiscent of Brock Besser to me with better skating um so he's he wasn't the fastest or even the most skilled offensive player on his team this past year in the junior league but it didn't stop him from leading the team in goals and points captaining the you know team sweden at the u18s uh played up in the shl for 25 games he's something of like a chameleon is that whatever you ask him to do he's going to go out there and do it and so if that's you know goal play up and down uh, on the third line and go in there and forecheck and lay body um like it was in, in the S.H.L. Great. He goes out there and he does it and he does it efficiently and he does it well. You want him to be out there and he and he's snapping goals at five on five and he's jumping the zone and he's he's working his hands. Great. He can go do that, too. Um So he's just this jack of all trades, kind of Swiss Army knife type that has high offensive ability as well, but also really smart uh, defensively, too. And then Noah Ostlin Really, really fun kid. Like I, I really like cheering for him. He's yeah. Really slight, slippery. I, he's he's kind of like this skillful artist out there, right? He makes these highly clever and difficult plays look easy and almost whimsical. Like he's got just excellent vision and he's got the hands to boot. He, I, he can embarrass guys. Now the skating isn't at the same level you want for a kid who weighs 165 pounds pre-draft. But you know what? Now there was Elias Pettersson. Um mm-hmm. So there is, there is some things to work on for him, but like high, high upside kid. I have a feeling he's going to go to like a, you know, he's going to end up in the mid twenties or something like that. And he's yeah. going to, go to Toronto or, or someone like that that's going to recognize <laughs> the upside there and, and they're going to get themselves a heck of a player if he can break right. But all three of those guys, I I, Austin, I would probably sup- be surprised if Vancouver yeah. took, but uh Casper Ogren, I think I think for sure if, if either one are there and a guy like Minty Yukov is gone, mm-hmm. um, that yeah both would be very, very intriguing to the Canucks. Well
0: yeah and you know especially you know the, the ability I mean Oslin I think him and Chesley I think are interesting if Vancouver trades down. You know what I mean? You get into the twenties or something mm-hmm. those are really intriguing players if you can snoop uh, scoop one those guys up but I wanted to ask you about Brad Lambert because on the surface speedy centerman right hand shot has a lot of skill yet I'm not sure if Vancouver picks him at 15 I'm not even sure he is a top 20 pick in this year's draft based on just everything that's kind of going on with him and just his and I don't mean reputation as he's a bad guy just based on where his projection is going.
3: Yeah, uh, he's not a top 20 guy for me. I know he was on our on our team list at EP Ringside, but I was kind of the, the naysayer, and, and it, it'll be reflective on my board too. Um, again, I would be very surprised if he was the guy for Vancouver at 15. Even if they slid back to 20, 22, I would still be surprised if he's the guy. First of all, I don't think he's a center. Um, I don't think he has the mind for it. I don't think he has the passing for it, the vision for it. Um, he's he's all wheels and hands, and uh, he's got a pretty good shot too. But, you know, even with all those physical tools, you know, he's lacking that tool belt to carry them all around. And that is just – that's something that's haunted this team um, in years past, drafting players like that, is it's thinking that they're going to be able to process things quicker and figure things out quicker through repetition and higher levels, it really doesn't happen very often as you move up. Either you have it or you don't. And if you don't, and you have great feet, and you can learn defensive positioning, and you can be a checker, then great, you might end up being a, a bottom six guy. Um, but for me, Lambert, you know, all that on-ice stuff is, is a little concerning with the effort level and the consistency issues around him. And then, you know, the fact that he's asked out of a couple organizations, uh, I don't know the inside and out of, of why that is, so I'm not going to knock him down my board for it, but I know that teams don't love when a player's asking out um, to go somewhere else and then again to go somewhere else um, that gets you a reputation of someone who's maybe not willing to stick it out and, and fight through things and and to be a, a quality NHL or you're going to run into some some issues right you're going to you're going to hit a wall you're going to need to fight and uh and and do your do your best to, to get through those things and come out on the other side. And if you don't have that that mental fortitude, that, that kind of gut check time, then maybe you're not gonna make it. Um, not to say that Brad Lambert won't, because there's boom there, right? When you when you have that combination of speed and skill, um there is a there is a high, high ceiling, but I think there's also a very healthy dose of bust attached to him and, and teams are gonna teams are gonna be looking at that and I think his draft stock is, is kind of fallen as a reflection of that. And on draft day, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's not even selected on day one.
1: Uh, Hey, Cam, just before we let you go here, we're watching the Memorial Cup final in the studio. St. John just scored again, actually, so it's 5-2 in the third period. Just looking at the tournament as a whole, and whether it's a draft-eligible player or somebody who's already been drafted or, you know, maybe even a potential uh, free agent coming out of juniors, is there there anyone who's really caught your eye at this year's Memorial Cup?
3: I mean, William DeFore has been just incredible, right? What's he got now? Like... 70 goals this season or something I like had 65 goals like he's been just outstanding for St. John um he's an Islanders pick that they got like in the mid rounds A couple years ago so he's been great mason mctavish too right like i i've been super high on this kid for a couple of years now i had him in my top three there um he's his shot is going to terrorize netminders too so a couple of guys that you know no one their teams aren't going to move them in, in, in for anything right now um but uh yeah those those guys have definitely caught my eye for sure and yeah i think i think anaheim's building something good there too with mctavish coming up
0: yeah, man, it's uh, it's looking exciting. But Cam, we always appreciate your time very much. Make sure to check out his work on Elite Prospects and also his draft rankings coming up tomorrow at EP Ringside as well. So we look forward to reading that, all the work you've put in, put in and I'm and, uh, looking forward to seeing what happens at the draft too, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. You got it. That is Cam Robinson. Make sure to check him out on Twitter and uh, check out his great work on Elite Prospects and EP Ringside. And, you know, the Brad Lambert one is Super interesting to me, uh, Jamie, because he's so toolsy. You watch him, and, and there's so much that jumps out. But like you mentioned, there are a lot of scouts, people that watch him, that wonder about—I mean, it's, it's the old cliches. He's got the tools, mm-hmm. but the toolbox might be
1: missing. He seems like the classic example of a team—the that the team that takes him is probably going to have surplus picks. Right? Yeah. You know, maybe you have an extra late first round, or maybe you have an extra one in the second if he does, in fact, last on to day two. And you feel like because you have those extra picks, you have a little bit more leeway to take a big swing with one of them. But I I just don't see the Canucks taking that kind of swing at 15.
0: Yeah, it seems like a bit too much variance, too much chance with it. But it's it's inter- interesting with what um, Cam mentioned with guys like Liam Ogram, potentially Marco Casper, and we'll see if those guys are there. Minty Yukov is.
1: I've heard different things about him but it wouldn't surprise me at all that he's available at 15. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me either if he's if he's still there and that would be interesting as we know with the need on the blue line the the prospect that you mentioned or the the idea you mentioned of Trading down into the kind of early 20s if if Ausland is still there, that's yeah. really intriguing to me. Yeah. like That might be my dream Canucks scenario, right? Because I love the pick, I love the player, and then you're picking up a little bit of extra assets
0: as well. Let's say those three guys, Vancouver, let, let's say for argument's sake, and we don't know, know this, it's just hypothetical, we're just having a discussion here. L- let's just say that Ogren, Mintyukov, and Casper are the three guys Vancouver really wants. And all three of those guys are gone, and the guy that slides down isn't really exciting them too much. That's when they might be willing to do something like that. Yep. You know, you're picking up a second day, maybe a, maybe a second round pick, which you're not having. You don't have, and if you're able to get a pick in the 20s and a second round pick, and get a player, whether it's Osland, whether it's Matt Matejchuk who's going to be available there in the 20s, or somebody else uh, that you may like, or Ryan Chesley, who I, who I'm a big fan of in his game. I think if you're picking him in that spot, he's a guy that can be a very safe new age stay at home right hand defenseman or two way defenseman that projects more as the Faber types that we mm-hmm. talk about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's the type of guy
1: that I'm very interested in. I would love to see it. I mean the Matechak, man, if he's still there in the twenties, woof. I that's uh that would be very enticing to try to go get. Yeah. I mean
0: Cam's Cam may be irrationally high on him. First overall pick if he had no job on the line or anything. You know I mean but a lot of fun catching up with Cam Robinson. All right, next, Ryan Kessler. He's coming up on Canuck Central. Back in on Canuck Central, Satsiara Shaw with Jamie Daw, Dan Riccio on the IR voice issues. I guess it's a, it's a very high. It's, it's not a head injury.
1: It's an upper body injury, like yeah, a upper neck body. injury. Yeah,
0: upper body injury. High upper body injury, but not quite yeah. a neck injury. If I mean head injury,
1: people are going to be out there targeting <laughs> his throat
0: now. <laughs> He's walking around, people karate Slashing, chopping, him. yeah,
1: <laughs> throwing stuff at his throat. Now, hopefully he'll feel better. Actually, it must be pretty bad, though, because I saw on Twitter that he said he's skipping his Spro and doing tea instead. Wow. So you know things are serious when Reach is is skipping the Spro. Well, why would you have to skip the Spro? Can't you do both? Can't you, like, have a little bit of Spro and then have some tea? Is it bad for your throat, maybe?
2: I definitely think coffee is worse
1: for your throat. Could there be something about drinking, like, eight espressos a day (laughs) that is not great for a broadcast professional? He would know. Yeah. If if Spro hurts the throat, he is very aware
2: by now.
0: We'd know if the Spro is a problem, yeah. He would be aware. Uh, man, Dan Riccio and uh, one of his ailments. Hopefully, he'll be all right, though. He'll make it. He'll thing. be fine. One he's of tough. His he'll his be fine. One of his
2: ailments. He's, just, he's been so troubled lately.
0: <laughs> I know. He had to deal with protocol at one point. And any time he misses a show, something happens. And today, well, Kevin Fiala got traded by the Minnesota Wild to... Um, The L.A. Kings for the 19th overall pick and right-handed defenseman prospect Brock Faber, who plays for the University of Minnesota. And uh, our next guest from the fourth period, our good friend Irfan Gaffar. Well, he threw a bit of a nugget out himself on social media talking about Brock Besser and his contractual situation, which right now there isn't much happening as far as... uh, Contract talks advancing, but Irf, uh, you're under the impression or you are uh, of the understanding, I should say, that teams are interested in Brock Besser.
4: Yeah. I mean, if you look at his pedigree, he's a young player. He's a a very good, he's a proven player in the National Hockey League. But I think more so it's what are the Canucks willing to do or willing to go here with Brock Besser, right? I don't actively think that they're shopping Brock Besser. I, I, I think that, you know, teams have called. Uh, I really do believe that. And I also think that there's been conversations with the Besser camp and the Vancouver Canucks that, you know what, have really kind of died. And that's where we're at right now when it comes to this player. And, you know, you, um, you, you, you kind of have to go and look at it and see what the Canucks priority list is right now. And and is Brock Besser a high priority to bring back, right? Or do, are they viewing JT Miller as a guy that, you know what, we're going to put all our eggs in one basket with this player. So, like I said, it's going to be an interesting week here for sure. Maybe a little bit more than that. I'm not saying anything's going to happen, but the Besser talk has definitely been heating up um, with just over a week to, uh, leading up to the draft.
1: From your perspective, Irf, does the Fiala trade with him going to LA and signing the deal? Does that have any impact on the Besser situation? Because I, I know you can look and say, you know, similar age and on a per game basis on their career, Besser has the better numbers, but Fiala was so good last year and he had such a strong season. Is there any kind of domino effect from that deal going down that impacts the Besser situation?
4: Well that haul is probably not coming back. Right? I mean that's a very yeah. that's a pretty good haul for, for for the Minnesota Wild for for Kevin Fiala, to be completely honest, right? You get the nineteenth overall pick and you get uh, Brock Faber, which is a very, very um, good prospects so I, I, I do and I, I think the signing of the deal also right because you get to that long-term extension at like was a cap of just 7.9 or 7.9 AAV mm. like, that's a lot of money yeah right so if you're another team right now and you're looking to acquire a player like Brock Besser you obviously you're trading his rights and then you're probably going to sign him to a extension whether it's you know a long-term deal or, or something of that nature but from the Vancouver Canucks point of view and from what I've heard, a two or three year deal around $7 million for Brock Besser, the Canucks weren't willing to go there. Yeah. So um, that's something that interests me a lot. Now, look, they might qualify him at seven and a half per year and then do it again next year and say, all right, well, let's just see what happens. But Um, As far as, you know, like a short-term or short-term deal here, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case here for Brock Besser.
3: Well, and, you know,
0: we'll see what happens over the next little bit. And I think there would have to be movement on the Besser side for this to happen. Because I look at a three-year deal, and we've talked about this before. Like, there is a deal to be made. If if the two parties really want to make a deal here, there is one to be made. And, like, Besser's not going to get seven. I don't see Vancouver doing that. But if he's willing to take something in the sixes, I think that can get done, but will he be willing to do that after not getting term last time around?
4: Well, I don't know. I think if you're Brock Besser, if you're Brock Besser, if the contract are offering you a deal at three years that between six and a half and six point eight five per year, you take it any day of the week, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I really do. I think, especially on a three year term, I don't know how you say no to that um, if you're him. But look, I mean, the ball's kind of in the Besser court a little bit, right? Because they have this QO that's going to be at seven and a half million dollars. Right. I don't think the Canucks are going to take him to arbitration. I don't think that's going to happen or he's going to take them to arbitration. I just don't think that's going to work. Um, but it, you know what? Cra- crazier things have happened. So it's an interesting one because of the Fiala trade that now kind of throws a loop into things and what he got paid. But, you know, the domino effect is JT Miller here. And also that I know you and I have talked about it a lot. It's You know, what type of money is the captain going to get as well? Yeah.
1: And just um, before we get off the Brock Besser, Earth, you know, as you as you mentioned there, maybe the Canucks aren't interested in doing two or three years at seven million for Brock Besser. What's your sense of how maybe some other teams around the league would view that kind of contract, right? Because if there's a team that says, you know what, we'd love to have Brock Besser at three years at seven million, is that a situation that could kind of facilitate a trade coming together?
4: Absolutely. Well, I think then, if you're the, from the Canucks' point of view, you're looking to. You know, bring back some assets, right? You have to improve your team, whether it's via trade, uh, and it, and it would be you know acquiring picks for a player like Brock Bester or and or a roster player. And I think if you're the Vancouver Canucks and you if you look at Brock Bester, you're probably going to want a player of his of his value to to try and come back, maybe on the back end or, or maybe in that top six forward group as well. But like I mentioned, it, it's going to be an interesting week here for sure. And um, yeah, it's that that's the one that kind of picked up steam here over the last week. Um, was the better stuff, so um, it's definitely something to keep an eye on out for sure.
0: Now, as far as the best situation goes, do you think it is at all tied to JT and Bra and, and uh, Horvat long term, or do you think that there- his situation is going to be independent of those guys?
4: Well, I think when you look at it, right, we're still in a cap world. Like they yeah. have to look at it and make the numbers work. So if you're trying to make the numbers work with those three players, someone's got to be the odd one out yeah. somewhere. Right. Or are you going to be able to make money appear from getting rid of other players via trade or, right. or, or, or buyouts or, or things like that? But um, I don't believe that, you know, JT Miller is going to get that nine million dollars or nine and a half million dollars on the open market just from talking to people and, and being at the cup final and, and seeing some people there. I just, you know, I, no one in a sense thinks that that like that's a lot of money yeah. for a player that's going to turn 30 years old. It's a when lot, the contract kicks in.
0: I mean, and we, we were talking about this a bit earlier on the show, and I know Bick talked about it on the People Show going through the comparables. There's only been one guy who was 30 and got that contract, and it was Logan Couture eight times eight and that's not going to happen very often. So that's not something that you've seen precedent wise, you know, across the league. So it's really interesting. And you know, this kind of leads us to the whole JT thing, because if you're trading Brock, if you're more likely to do that, does that tell you that you're maybe feeling like you could get something done with JT, especially if he's not staring at a contract that's worth 55 to 60 million on the market?
4: Yeah. I mean, and if you're JT Miller and the Canucks are offering you 45 to 47 million dollars, in all reality, how do you say no, right? If you're him, it depends on how much of the bag you want. Like, and are the Canucks willing to go that high for for a player like him? Are they going to do a five year deal at maybe eight million bucks a year, or, or you know, or seven, eight, five, or, or do something like we talked about that, like the Quinn Hughes type of yeah. deal, where it's forty six or forty seven million dollars at a seven point eight whatever it is, AAV. So it's an interesting one because I think that there was so much talk when the season ended about JT Miller's future here and things like that. He was going to be gone for sure. He was going to be gone at the deadline. And then things kind of changed, you know, when the new management comes in and, then, and they start to review what, you know, the, what the future is of this team and, and who they believe that can help lead this team to, you know, try and win the Stanley Cup or, or to, you know, as Charles Barkley says, be a bus driver. And JT Miller's one of those guys on this team.
1: Uh, from the Canucks' perspective on Miller, you know, as you said, the haul that the Wild got for for Fiala looks pretty well, good, not, right?
4: That that's not happening for JT Miller. I don't even think that's happening for Brock Besser.
1: You so wait, but they I, you you don't think the Canucks could get something equivalent for JT Miller? No, really? Well, not, no, I don't think so. No. Wow, because I would look at that and say that's the that's like if you're not getting that, then you're not moving JT Miller. But, but I think they age. could
4: get that. But look at his age. Yeah, right? but he he turns thirty. Yeah, you're not going to get a first round pick and a. Top touted prospect. I, was I, look
1: at, I look at the point production last year, though top ten in the league, yeah. and the fact that he can play center, and I just think there's some team that's going to talk themselves into it. So to Earth's point, the one thing I will mention
0: too is you you look at like kind of what's going on and all this sort of stuff too. JT because he's thirty. To Earth's point, that matters. It matters it, to teams. It, it does matter to teams, right? Because with Kevin Fiala, as talented as he is, he's only 25. When J.T. Miller was 25 years old, he wasn't putting up 85 points.
1: Yeah, it's true. But I, I just the track record of teams falling in love with those types of players who put up those those numbers. I, I, I see a team willing to ultimately do it. But the Rangers didn't get okay, offer Schneider. They wouldn't offer
4: Schneider. Yeah, it's true for the for the Vancouver. Okay, so if you're the Canucks and you look at it and say, okay, we're picking 15th. So automatically that pick has to be higher in the top 15, right? You're not going to go backwards in the draft. You're you're not going to get the 24th overall pick plus something else, plus something else. You're going to want to get at least a top 15 pick or top 14 pick for him plus something else. So you look at those teams in the top that are picking the top 14, are they going to be able to convince themselves of that?
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting way of looking at it. But I, I just wonder, you know, there's, I guess the the thing that's hard with the JT Miller situation is his age matters so much when you're talking about the contract extension. But would there be teams that are motivated in looking at it just for hey, we just want him for this year because we think we're close and we're not going to worry about the extension till down the road?
4: Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Like I, I can't imagine a team will look like a team's going to trade for him and not sign him to a contract, or the Canucks are going to do. That. Like I just I can't see the situation where that happens. Or if that's going to happen, then the Canucks will say, "Okay, well, we'll just see. them and We'll trade you at the draft, or sorry, at the trade deadline." Yeah, right. And then you can sign an extension in the off season and go be a rental for a team if you really, really want. If we're not in it to in the playoffs or, or you know trying to make the postseason, then you do it that way. But it's going to be tough because that's going to come up a lot next season, right? Yeah. If if they don't get both signed, if they don't get JT done, and what happens with Brock Besser, obviously, you can't go into training camp and, and have all these question marks around your roster that you know, are all up in the air.
0: I think, you know, the way I view the JT thing and we were talking to Jamie about, the, and Jamie and I were talking about this a bit earlier that, I mean, if JT is not traded by the draft, it's probably more likely, or, you know, around the draft, it's probably more likely he ends up signing. Cause if the team is dragging this on until training camp, earth, they're not doing it because they don't think they can sign him. Or they're going to trade him at the deadline. It's because they probably look at it and say, we're going to get him signed. So yeah. this, if this drags through into August, I would guess Vancouver feels like they can get him signed around training camp when he shows up and he's like, man, do I really say no to 45, 46 million when, you know,
4: I don't know what can happen this year. I think the feeling within the organization right now is that they can get him signed. And it's just a matter of what JT wants to do, really of what that final dollar figure or final um, term is going to look like. Like, I I really do think that they're going to make a really good push for him. And, and, and see if they can do it, and that's why we're hearing all this blockbuster stuff come out, right? And mm-hmm. that—that's the interesting part. But the one that's been quiet, and like I've mentioned to you guys before, is, is Bo Horvat. You know, he's captain. He probably resigns. He probably gets a he probably gets a long-term contract here. But what's that number going to be? Because that ultimately affects things as well.
1: Well, I wanted to ask you about Bo next because you, you mentioned him a little bit earlier, and as you said, we don't talk about him as much because there's just the assumption that yeah, he is going to sign that long-term <laughs> deal. Is that—is that still kind of the right assumption, or? Or do you think there's maybe a little bit more a possibility uh, that things could go the other way?
4: No, I think that's the right assumption. He's like, the captain of the team, you know. He's he's put up ridiculous numbers for for him, and then he's he's a pillar in the community and, and things like that. But again, like we've seen stranger, we, we've definitely seen stranger things happen. So, um, yeah, I, look, anything is on the table right now for this management group. Mm-hmm. Except for Demko, Pedersen, Hughes, to yeah. be completely honest. Now, I'm not saying they're going to go and trade Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and and JT Miller, um, but I'm saying that you know if teams were to call, they're listening.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I, I think you know, leading up to the draft, I, this has always been the case, though, which is interesting because for all the talk that we hear, and I'm not, and this is not me taking a shot at any of the reporting. That's not my point. But for all the talk that we hear about this team's now interested, talks are picking up. This team now wants them, Now they're taking calls and all this sort of stuff. I don't think they ever stopped taking calls. You know what I mean? No, and, like, you're
4: not, and, you're, and you're not doing your job as a management group yeah. if you don't take calls. And contract negotiations are contract negotiations. Yes, they can be stopped, and yes, they can be had. They could have talked earlier, but something happened where they're not talking anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? And I think that that's the way kind of things have gone for, for Brock. Um, and JT is obviously still kind of that situation is up in the air. But we'll see what happens in Montreal, because I think that after this long weekend and you know, once the staff touches down in Montreal on Monday and then they have their meetings and they start to get ready for the draft uh, on Thursday, you're going to see things start to pick up, right? I mean, there's a lot of players. There's a lot of restricted free agents out there right now that need contracts from their teams. And, you know, obviously, as Gary Bettman had, had said in his you know, state of the league in the cup final, the expectation is that the cap's going to go up in a couple of years, but it's still what it is right now.
1: Other than those kind of big three guys, right, Besser, Horvat, and Miller that we spend so much time talking about, is there another... Player on the Canucks lineup or in the Canucks roster that you think fans should kind of have their eyes out as as a someone who could potentially be moved in the next week or so here. Connor
4: Garland, I, I just think that that one was still even during the season it was still there, and at the trade deadline it was still there, and now it's kind of been there as well. So that's the one I'd be interested in. But look, like, look, I mean that one you probably want to haul for for that player as well, right? Mm-hmm. It just it matters on what this organization values of what it takes to win, and is Connor Garland a player that they feel like they can win with? Now, the last you know month of the season, he might have been one of their best players, um, and is that would that 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 change the tune for some of the management, right? But he's got a few years left on that deal, um, and it depends what what direction you're trying to you're you're trying to take this team. Like, if Connor Garland can get you a pretty good right shot defenseman, are you going to make that deal? Yeah, because you need it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, and and the question though is. Are you going to be able to get that right-hand defenseman? Because yeah. I, I know one team that was interested in Garland, or at least called, was the LA Kings, and now they well, pulled. Well, then off. they
4: got their guy. They yeah. got their
0: guy, and and I think the guy that and you we talked about this before too. And the guy that kind of was linked to Vancouver was Helge Grans, but now that they yeah. traded Brock Favor, you know, it, it just kind of looks like it. You know, that fits probably not going to happen.
4: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it, it'd be interesting. I wonder. Also, I just going to wonder this out loud. I'm not reporting or anything, but I just wonder if. Uh, there's another marriage of Troy Stetcher back in Vancouver at some point. Mm. You know, league minimum. He's a guy that obviously, you know, was upset when he when he left here and things like that. So that's one that interests me as well.
1: Very interesting. I have a nice little nugget there to drop uh, on the end. Uh, Troy from Richmond potentially returning. Hey, I mean, they need they need people on the on the right side, right? Well they so, need depth, right?
4: Yeah. They, they need depth. I mean, you you gotta go into next season with with guys that can play every single night. And if you're not the guys that aren't in the lineup they're in the press box, they should be fighting for swats. Like those are the type of
0: players yeah. that you need. Well, and also wonder. Like, I mean, they do have some of those righties. Righties. They have Burrows. They have Shen. They have Myers. They have Pullman. The question, though, is like, what's going to go on with Pullman next year? Like, yeah. you know, health wise. I, I mean, I, we don't know any of this, but there is a chance that he can't be. Re- he's not ready to go for the start of the
4: season. No, and and that's the thing that they're looking at, too, and that's why I think that when you see here, see names like for Stetcher and, and, and things like that and still looking for a right-shot defenseman, it's because you're unsure of the health of of certain players, and obviously he's one of them.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Now, before we let you go, Irf, uh are you expecting, as far as league-wide stuff, we saw one player going out, Kevin Fiala. Is there a player that you're kind of keeping an eye on that we might see go next here as as talks pick up?
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm unsure, right? I think that you, you still have to look at, you know, guys in their in their RFA's, like, is Matthew Kachuk going to get a big deal? Or what are they going to do with Johnny Goudreau? And, you know, and Philip Forsberg, is he going to get that eight times eight deal here soon? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, this this draft interests me a little bit because, and obviously, two, two, two's going to go number one overall, right? The yeah. Montreal Canadiens have the number one overall pick. Is it going to be Shane Wright? We don't know. Yeah, so we I don't know. That, I think, yeah, exactly. So I think that's what's going to be fun. Um yeah, I'm pumped for it. Should be a good time.
1: Irf, where's uh, where's your number one spot in Montreal?
4: I don't know. I've only I've only I've been, I did Montreal last year for the Cup final, <laughs> um, and it was very it was like kind of closed ish. Yeah. So I'm sure there's something that I can find that's probably pretty good.
3: Yeah. Well,
1: we'll, we'll ask you after after you get back. We'll ask for the report on where the new number one spot is.
4: Yeah, Do Denver think, underrated city though. Yeah, I was gonna
0: say, is it gonna beat Denver or Tampa?
4: Tampa was hot. Yeah, right. Like the, like the humidity, you walk off the plane and you're just like, it's you're sticky, you're gross. Denver was fun, though. That ballpark is awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is a pretty d- cool ballpark. But hey, Irf, uh, always fun, man. Uh, keep up the good work with the fourth period. And uh, we look forward to chatting with you again, as always, next week. All
4: right, gentlemen. We'll talk soon.
0: You got it. Uh, that is Irfan Ghaffar, the fourth period. Make sure to check him out on Twitter as well. And you got our text inbox. Six fifty six fifty. stirring
4: it up. Buzzing.
0: Yeah. Buzzing. a uh, couple of things uh, that were notable. Well, a lot of things are actually notable. Very notable yes. hit from uh, Earth. Um, the Besser stuff, of course, as he kind of mentioned. Not a lot going on. Um, the Miller stuff. You know, if if teams aren't willing to pay him nine million plus, and pay him fifty five, sixty million, and Vancouver's always been willing to make an offer in that you know high forty million range potentially. You know, it's not as long, it's
1: not as long, big of a long shot as people think that they find a way to keep JT. Well, the big thing for me, it's not just the contract, but, and, and we got a lot of pushback yes. on what Irv had to say about comparing the package that Fiala got and Miller. But if you're not equaling what Fiala just got back for the Minnesota Wild, if you're not equaling that in a JT Miller trade, then yeah, of course you're, your goal is to sign him.
0: I think, of that, course it is. I mean, you know what? Uh, I think it is interesting because, um, I, I still look at it. I just bit my tongue. I just look at it, and uh, I do still think Miller has equal, maybe slightly better value than Fiala. But I do think it's important to listen to that type of opinion because you have to factor this in. Is it possible that teams might look at Fiala because he is four years younger? That they're like, yeah, he's he, this is a guy we'd rather make the type of bet on. Has 85 points at 25. And if you look at, okay, what was offered for JT? And we talked about how, yeah, teams are interested in JT Miller, but so far nobody's knocked the Canucks' socks off. The team that was most interested was the Rangers. And what was the offer? Niels Lundquist, Lundqvist, first-round pick. Potentially Kraft something else, but that's not even guaranteed. Something along those lines. That's not a better offer. That's not a better package than nope. the Fiala and the 19th overall pick. That's a better package than what was offered. Now, does that mean the Canucks didn't get better offers than that? Potentially, what's out there? I do think there is a possibility that as much as there is a market for J.T. Miller, the type of godfather offer, maybe it's out there, maybe it happens, but I'm generally skeptical on these things,
1: Jamie, maybe that's just me, but there is a world
0: where what Earth said could be the case.
1: Well, if you take those... Two things, and what you, the point you were making a little bit earlier in the show, we were we were kicking it back and forth about you know could the total money end up being closer to you know forty eight million or something like that for JT Miller? If you add that, like let's say that's true, let's assume that's true, and what ERF said about the trade value is true, then absolutely the right move would be to bring JT Miller back. If you can get him for total money like forty eight million, and nobody's willing to really knock your socks off with a trade offer, then you kind of have to bring him back. Yeah. I just. It would shock me. And maybe, hey, I, look, I, I get lots of things wrong. So maybe I'm wrong about this, too. It's just really hard for me to believe that a player who scored 99 points last year,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who has the reputation for you know hard work, all of that leadership that JT yeah. Miller has, who can play down the middle, who can kill penalties, and it wasn't just a one-off year. He's been a yeah. point-per-game or better, or point right-around point-per-game or better for the last three seasons. It's so hard for me to believe that no one in the NHL is going to work themselves into. Oh, okay, we got to knock their socks off. So, so it's I, just really hard for me to believe. So I can I can I
0: can believe that there's going to be a really good offer. I'm not sure though the offer that people want to see is going to be out there. Like so, if if the Canucks get let let's say the Canucks made this trade hypothetically with the Kings, they got Brock Faber, the 19th overall pick, and a third round pick. Mm-hmm. What do you
1: think the reaction would have been? I think the reaction probably would have been. As the kind of first blush gut reaction from a lot of fans would have been, they didn't get enough. Yeah. Now, I don't think I would have necessarily agreed with that because I I really like those first two pieces. I really like Faber and I like the 19th overall pick. But yeah, you're right. It's not, there wasn't a a Godfather offer. That's not a Godfather 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 offer.
0: It's something you may accept. It's good. It's value. But that's the point that I've been making. I've heard there is, you know, teams are willing to give you value, they're willing to give you something. But is somebody willing to go that far for JT? And if there is a possibility, now obviously, if Vancouver feels like they can't sign him, they can't pay him no matter what. Then you you trade him for the best possible package, even if it's not the one that knocks your sock off. You still make the best one you can make because why wouldn't you at that point? But if the calculus becomes, to your point, here's an offer of a JT. It's decent. It's all right, but we can actually sign him for forty seven million. We, can, we he he's willing to sign the Quinn Hughes contract because if if you say. Six years, $7.85 million. we say that's our internal cap. Quinn's our best young player, our defenseman, had a fabulous season. That's our internal cap. We'll make you that offer. That's not a slap in the face. You're offering him as much as your franchise defenseman. That's just was about 46 and change, almost $47 million in total. If he's willing to sign something like that, and you're not getting the great offer to your point, maybe the team looks at it and says, we'd
1: much rather just keep him and pay him that. As opposed to making the deal. If that gets it done, I think there's a good chance he's back. A really good chance he's back, right? Like, the reason that I have been thinking he's more likely to be traded is, you know, I would anticipate that he can get much more than that on yeah. the open market if, if he chooses to go that route. Or, for, or in an extension from what other team acquires him, but... Yeah, as you said, look, it's important at least to consider, you know, as I said, I spent a lot of time considering that I could be wrong. So it wouldn't, you know, yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't be the first time, certainly, but it would be surprising to me. I just, I don't know. Maybe I'm making too much of the 99 point thing. It's just, yeah, yeah guys, who, guys who produce like that, they tend to find a way to get paid one way or yeah.
0: another. Well, and, and we'll see. They get paid some to some degree. And as far as a trade goes... What's the trade people always come up with? The D-D-Dush-the Duchesne return, mm-hmm. which was a third team that was involved. Look at all the other really big trade players. I mean, it's it's hard, man. There were a lot of misses. you know. And even at the time, some of them looked okay. But then you look back, you're like, man, when you're trading a player of that caliber, sometimes you're not getting the offers you want. You still get good offers, mm-hmm. but you're still taking some shots and bets. And that makes teams
1: very weary at times, you know? Well, and that's why I think to your point about if they were able to get, you know, the Fiala deal plus a third or plus whatever, two not so great other assets or whatever. Yeah, I would be pretty happy with that because, as you said, you look back at the history of star trades in the NHL recently, it's not as if guys are going for these incredible hauls all of the time. Like yeah. you know, you're, We're not seeing the Herschel Walker deal in the NHL no. all that often, right? So, yeah, that would be actually a pretty decent return for yeah. JT Miller. Yeah, they're pretty standard. and It was a standard
0: trade deadline package, and I think the Canucks can get better offers than they got at the deadline. The question is, is it good enough to make it happen? And that's going to be the question. Great insight, though. Great fun uh, talking uh, to – uh, Irfan Gafar this one says Dreger thinks someone is going to offer something the Canucks can't say no to for Miller and, and we will find out you know uh, we, we will sure find will. out the draft's not too long uh, not too far away and uh, I, I hope we see some action Irf did say though to expect some action he thinks the Canucks mm-hmm. are very, very willing to make things happen We'll see if they can connect on some trades.
1: We've been waiting for a while now. Yes. You know, we, I think we've been admirably patient. Even yes. with, Remember, Trader Jim, he's taken over. Like, yeah. yeah, let's see some of that action. Let's see some of that action.
0: <laughs> I'm with you. Tom and Van, boys, most importantly. More importantly, LA just got a lot better, and we did not. And, well, Vancouver has a lot of work to do. We'll talk more uh, as the week goes on, especially tomorrow, about the division now. Kevin Fiala with the, fit with the Kings. But we'll continue the conversation here on Canuck Central because we have one of our favorite segments coming up. It is overrated, underrated right here on Canuck Central.